The word of God from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who can always be found in times of trouble. That is why we will not fear when the earth dissolves and when the mountains tumble into the heart of the sea. Its waters roar and foam. The mountains quake when it rises. There is a river. Its streams bring joy to the city of God, to the dwelling of the Most High. God is in her. She will not fall. God will help her at daybreak. Nations are in turmoil. Kingdoms fall. God raises his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is a fortress for us. Come look at the works of the Lord. What a wasteland he has made of the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He shatters the bow. He cuts up the spear. He burns the carts with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. God of Jacob is a fortress for us. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Some of the Psalms have headings. Before the text of the Psalm itself, before you read that, there will be little bits of background information about the Psalm that you are about to read. For example, it might tell you who wrote the Psalm. All the Psalms have the same author, the Holy Spirit, but it might tell you who the Spirit used to write down his words. It might tell you when the Psalm was written, what kind of music, instrumentation, tune the Psalm is supposed to be accompanied by, and if there's like a particular special occasion in the temple that the Psalm is intended to be used in. The Psalm 46, the one you just heard, is one of those Psalms that has a heading little pieces of background information about this psalm. Four little pieces of background. It says the psalm is intended for the choir director. That's interesting. It says it was written by the sons of Korah. Here's everything we know about the sons of Korah. They were brothers. They had a father named Korah, and they liked to write psalms. It also says that it's a song... And it's intended to be sung to a now-lost tune called Alamot. That's all interesting enough. But personally, there is another piece of background information to this Psalm 46 that I would be way more interested in knowing than all of those things combined. And that is, when the sons of Korah wrote this 46th Psalm, what in the world were they looking at? It sounds really bad. The earth dissolves. The mountains tumble into the heart of the sea. Its waters roar and foam. The mountains quake when it rises. Now, people wonder, were there natural disasters going on in Israel when the sons of Korah wrote this psalm? Or, well, the psalms are poetic. So is this more figurative, poetic language just for all kinds of serious problems that go on in the world? You know, this is the first season, the first Sunday in the season of end time, and this psalm also sounds very apocalyptic. It's easy to imagine, at least in their hearts, the Holy Spirit was leading these sons of Korah to look ahead to the events of Judgment Day and the destruction of that day. And it doesn't have to be just one of those things. It could be all of the above. But it goes from bad to worse. Nations are in turmoil. Kingdoms fall. 
God raises his voice, the earth melts. Come look at the works of the Lord, what a wasteland he has made of the earth. Now it's easy to believe that language is pretty literal. Because ever since there have been nations and kingdoms on the face of the earth, there has always been turmoil and falling and wasteland. And whatever exactly the sons of Korah were seeing, with their eyes or in their heart, it was really bad. Have you been seeing any really bad stuff lately? I do not want to go into detail because I live in the same world you do and I don't really want to talk about the specifics and the details. But does it still seem to you like the earth is dissolving? Does it seem still like the waters are roaring and foaming? Does it seem still like the earth is melting, wasting away? Unless you have your ears plugged and your eyes closed, you, like the sons of Korah, are seeing and hearing some disturbing things right now. But one of the things Psalm 46 teaches you is that the people of God have been here before. They have been through times of trouble and turmoil before. From the sons of Korah who wrote this psalm about 700 years before Jesus' birth all the way to today and at all kinds of points in between. It was definitely a time of turmoil after a lonely monk nailed 95 theological positions, his 95 theses, to the door of a cathedral in a small town. It doesn't seem like, at the beginning, he was looking for trouble, like he was trying to create upheaval. And there's a few ways you can tell that. He was actually looking for peace in his own soul and in the souls of other Christians. He wasn't looking for trouble. And you can tell because he posted his 95 theses in Latin, so that the lay people would not be able to read them and get rattled by them. People often say, well, he put them on the front door of a cathedral. That's true, but that was like the town bulletin board. That's where everybody posted everything. And he posted them on the evening before a very important holy day, All Saints Day, because he knew that the next day all the clergy would be coming to the cathedral to celebrate that festival. He was hoping they would read his statements and it would start some discussion, some debate, about these issues that were creating trouble and chaos in his own soul and, and disturbing other Christians too. That was his intention at the beginning. But what followed was a lot of turmoil and a lot of trouble. To make a long and fascinating story short, the rift between Rome and the Reformers grew to condemnation and excommunication. Princes and kings were forced to choose sides to choose sides, and the entire continent divided along these religious lines. And the spirit of freedom and individualism that the Reformation embodied, that sparked a revolt by peasants about seven years later that led to the deaths of tens of thousands of people. And then on top of that, the plague had still not gone away. It was still striking in waves and killing thousands of people at a time. And it was sometime during those tumultuous years in the 1520s that Luther wrote the battle hymn of the Reformation, the one that we just sang, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And you could nearly accuse him of plagiarism in that hymn because the lyrics from that hymn are taken almost verbatim from this psalm, 46. The sons of Korah, when they wrote that psalm, they looked around, they saw trouble everywhere, and they wrote, 
The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Luther looked, he saw trouble all around, and he wrote, A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. So the people of God have been here before. From the sons of Korah to today and all points in between. The actors change. The scenes change. The trouble stays. That's a constant. So what do God's people from age to age do when they find themselves in the middle of these storms? Well, the first thing they do is they praise God with stirring words. Because he is the other constant. And he's the bigger constant. And he's the stronger constant. And this gets to the heart of what the Lutheran Reformation is all about. Does God's word about himself, does his promise about who he is and what he does, does his word that he is going to graciously deliver the forgiveness of your sins, his promise that he is going to be with you and for you even when everything else in the world is against you, does that promise stand even when the rest of the world is crashing around you? Martin Luther did a lot of things in his life, most of them good, some bad. The best thing that Luther ever did in his whole life was not a song or a sermon or a treatise or a translation. The best thing he did in his whole life was to just let God speak for himself. Rather than philosophically speculating about who the divine could be, dreaming or guessing about what might be going on in the mind of God, Luther simply sat back and let God speak for himself in his word. And if you want to know whether God is still with you and for you, even when everything else around you is trouble, just listen to what he tells you in his word. Listen to him say, the holy blood that my son shed to wash away your sins is eternal. It still covers you. I still remove the soiled garments of your sin and I still cover you in the righteousness of my son. So you are still on your way out of that crashing world and you are still on your way to a perfect world where you will live with me. I am still with you and still for you perfectly and always. So the world keeps spinning Wars keep flaring, natural disasters keep striking. And if you think this is just going to calm down and smooth itself out anytime soon, let me remind you, a presidential election season is now starting. This is not going to get calmer anytime soon. But God's people have been there before, and they've been still in the middle of the turmoil, and we can still be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, God's words are not empty and idle the way that human words often are in the middle of trouble. It is amazing the kind of trifling silliness that we people can come up with in the middle of crises, like uh, it could be worse. We've got to stop saying that. That's just not helpful at all. Or uh, chin up and turn your frown upside down. Why? Based on what? Based on what I see around me, frowning seems very appropriate right now. Or, oh, don't worry. Things are going to get better. You just got done telling me things could get 
worse. So it seems like it could go that way too. But God's words are full of power and meaning because they deliver what they promise. Stillness in the middle of the storm. See, God's call for his people to be still from age to age in every time of trouble is centered on what he does. His action for his people. God is our refuge and strength, a helper who can always be found in times of trouble. See, when this psalm was written in the Old Testament, for the people at that time, the Lord God was not some deity who was distant and aloof. But they had to wonder, where is the Lord? Where does he live anyway? They got to see him when the Lord led them out of slavery in Egypt. They saw him as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then the Lord dwelled, his presence actually dwelled over the Ark of the Covenant, first in the tabernacle and then in the temple. God was right there with his people, with his presence. And he still is. And that is why we still are still. The psalmist says, there is a river. Its streams bring joy to the city of God, to the holy dwelling of the Most High. So what is this river that brings peace and joy to the people of God? Where is this city of God where he dwells with this river? It flows with peace and joy. Well, your first thought might be, okay, the Psalms were written in the Old Testament, so it must be the city of Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where God dwelled over the Ark of the Covenant. He brought peace and joy to his people. City of God, Jerusalem. Correct. But here's an interesting fact about the city of Jerusalem. It doesn't have any rivers. Uh, it has an underground spring, but the Hebrew word for river is a different word entirely. So this has to be about something more, something bigger than just the physical city of Jerusalem. Well, if you flip ahead to the book of Revelation, you see heaven referred to and pictured as the city of God, the place where God dwells with his people in perfect peace and perfect joy forever. But then you also hear your Savior say, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. So that's where God dwells too. And you also hear the Spirit instruct you that you, an individual Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in you. So this, this city of God, where he dwells, where he brings peace and joy, is really his whole Christian church. Anywhere that there is faith in his salvation, that is the river of God that brings peace and joy. Now our Savior Jesus, he became this river of salvation. When he took on flesh and came into our world to save us from our sins, he turned hearts to himself for forgiveness and salvation. And Jesus still flows to us like this river from God, bringing us peace and joy. Every time we hear the good news of our Savior, later in this service, when we receive the forgiveness of sins in our Savior's body and blood, that is still God's river of peace and joy, his salvation flowing into our hearts. See, knowing that your sins are forgiven, knowing where you stand with God as his dear child for Jesus' sake, knowing that you are going to end up in his heavenly kingdom and see him face to face, that is true peace and joy. That is stillness, even when the mountains are rising. That is a gentle river that refreshes you with joy, even when all the other waters in the world are roaring and foaming. 
That's where the sons of Korah and all of the psalmists received their peace and joy. They were always turning to the Lord for their salvation. That's where Luther found it when he found it. He struggled a great deal with inner turmoil and inner conflict, but when he found this peace and joy, it flowed from the river of Christ's salvation. And we still find it in that same place because Jesus came into the world the first time to conquer all of the enemies that create all of this destruction, this turmoil and chaos in our world. Jesus came and he conquered sin, which is the root cause of it all, Satan, who introduced evil into this world in the first place, and death, which is its result. When our Savior Jesus was born into this world, he came with this mission to free us, to free all creation from the enemies that create the trouble and the chaos in this world. That hymn, A Mighty Fortress, it is right to picture Jesus Christ as a fighter, as a warrior. But more importantly, it pictures him as a champion, someone who fights on behalf of someone else. When Jesus battled temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, he was fighting for us. He overcame that temptation and remained free from sin to make up for our sin, the times we have caved into salvation, the time we have caved into temptation. The apparent defeat of the cross on Good Friday was also his victory, and he proved it by rising on Easter morning. It was the death blow to sin and Satan. And after our champion Jesus won that victory for us, he ascended. But amazingly, he ascended without leaving us alone. He still flows to us as God's river. We find him in his word. We find him in the waters of baptism, in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And he keeps flowing into the hearts of his people with salvation that brings us peace and joy. So, there is a lot of trouble. But God's people have been here before. Ever since the fall into sin, we have been here. And the river of God's love still flows in the victory of our champion, Jesus, bringing us peace and joy. So, still be still. Amen.